You're listening to the Keith to the City podcast. Voices rising like a church choir. All right, it's been nearly a month since the Yankees season ended and the long off season has begun as we inch closer to hopefully getting some free agency signings. And I'm sure we'll have to wait a while, though, for the big free agency signings. Uh, and joining me today to talk Yankees baseball this offseason is Brian Hoke, the Yankees beat writer for both Yankees.com and MLB.com and also the author of the book Mission 27, which details the Yankees 2009 championship season. Brian, how's it going today? Going really well. Thank you, Neil. Good to be on with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, as as someone who read the book the first day it came out, it uh, rather rather uh, you know interesting, intriguing read. Um, in the midsummer, I know it's been out for a few months now, but it seems like a good time to talk about that book and bring up happier times for Yankees fans when the team was a championship winning team. Um, and you know, now that the book's been out for what has it been like uh, five months now, um, I think it's a good time to you know sort of talk to you and get the details and how it was done and, and how it came about. But looking back, it seems you know almost impossible that it's already been a decade since that season, but uh, time flies, I guess. Yeah, you know, um, I kind of thought at this time we'd be talking about Another World Series championship, but I guess the book is still relevant since uh, that is the last one the Yankees have been able to celebrate at the end. And um, you know, I think that 2009, uh, for a lot of reasons, is special uh, for Yankee fans, or should be, because it's a time of great change when you're moving from the old stadium to the new stadium. Uh, you're opening that new building. Obviously, they brought in the big free agents. They spent big uh, with CC Sabathia, AJ Burnett, Mark Ter- and Mark Teixeira. They made the trade for Nick Swisher. And I kind of feel like uh, that year did not get its due at the time. Um, it, it was going a million miles an hour, and there was so much going on. And uh, The Yankees won because, of course, they're supposed to win. You know, They spend all that money, and uh, they got this beautiful new ballpark. But none of us knew at the time that that's the last time you're going to see Derek Jeter hold the World Series trophy. It's the last time for Mariano Rivera, uh, the last time for Pettit, for Posada. So uh, the only time for Alex Rodriguez. Um, so I think that we all thought at the time, that's great. The Yankees win in 2009. They're probably going to win again in 2010, 11, 12. They've got this great young, uh, not young, but they've got this great core together here. They'll probably win again. It didn't happen. So um, I think now in hindsight, you look back and um, certainly when we did the interviews with the players, uh, that was a, a theme there, too, that they didn't fully appreciate it at the time because they thought there was going to be more on the way. And now that you look back, 10 years have passed, and the Yankees have not been able to be the last, last team standing again. That year becomes even more special, I think, at least to me, um, with every year that passes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a very interesting point, the fact that at the time, everyone just thought, hey, they'll be back here next year, if not the year after, sort of the way it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. That hasn't been the case. They haven't been back since then for ALCS losses in that time. And it, you look back at that really 2009 to, I guess, you know, 2013 group when, when the main part of that team stayed together, um, even, you know, somewhat in 2014. But uh, it does feel like they left opportunities on the table. It does feel like they missed a chance to at least add to that. And I know that, you know, most 
fan bases would be happy with the one. Um, but in that you know four or five year window, it seems like they could have at least added another one, especially the next season. And I think that sort of uh, you know, is is relevant to today's Yankees team, where the last three years they've had chances to win and they haven't. Um, and I just hope we're not looking back in a few years and thinking, "Wow, this team didn't even win in that window." You know, and and we look back and, and compare it to the to the Yankees teams of two thousand nine to fourteen that only won once. Yeah, and especially uh, once that team started getting old and breaking down, then then you're seeing them miss the playoffs entirely, which was unheard of. And um, I, I think that. Uh, when you compare it to today, yeah, you hope that this window is not being missed for the Yankees. Look, they were one win away from going to the World Series in 2017. They were two wins away this past year. Um, they've had competitive teams, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump. And obviously, it's the Houston Astros, and uh, twice knocking them out three times in the last uh, since 2015. Uh, and now with the revelation that the Astros may have had a little help technologically on their side, I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I definitely understand why guys like Aaron Judge and Luis Severino are kind of tweeting out things saying, wait a second, what, what is happening here? Because I, I feel like you only got so many shots to get to the top of the mountain. Um, you know, at, at some point, players get injured, players move on, players retire. And, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like, especially in the wake of what we're learning now, um, you almost want to get that 2017 Yankees and Astros back on the field to replay that series. I'd like to see how that plays out because the Yankees did not lose a single home game. They lost every game at Minute Maid Park. And I don't know. You, you, I, I think it's always going to be one of these what ifs. Um, and certainly when you go back to after 09, there's a bunch of what ifs there too. Um, you know, I feel like for me, that dynasty ended or any chance that that dynasty ended that ground ball up the middle where Derek Jeter collapses and his ankle breaks in yep. 2012. That's pretty much the end for me there, and and that was game one. And yeah. I remember thinking, do we do we even have to fly to Detroit? Because this is silly. The Yankees are not going to win this series. <laughs> and um, so, and then they missed the playoffs in thirteen and fourteen. And you know what happened the rest of the way? And obviously, they had to retool and um, kind of start what's happening now with uh, the, these this younger group of players. But. Uh, yeah, you want to see them get to the top of the mountain because you only got so many chances. And like I said, the, the faces have changed even since 2017. Who knows what the team is going to look like in 2020, but we know it won't look exactly like it did in 2019. Yeah, and, and 10 years ago um, with the book, you know, the disastrous start in Baltimore, they lose the first two games of the season with uh, CC going, especially on opening day. The 0-8 start against the Red Sox. Brian Cashman has to join the team on that Florida-Atlanta trip when they're barely over 500. Um, and then after that, they really took off. And that season, you know, they come back, they win all those games against Boston at the end of the year. They have the four-game sweep. They overcome the early deficit in Game 1 to the Twins, the the late-game comeback uh, in Game 2. The, they break the scoreless game in Game 3. Um, they have some good fortune on errors against the Angels the next round, and then they take care of business outside of Cliff Lee in the World Series. But uh, you look back, at, and there's all these moments, and, and it just seemed like maybe... Maybe this team, this Yankees team, was going to have a similar storyline where all the injuries and, and overcoming all the injuries and all the obstacles only to, you know, in the end, finally uh, get to the top of the mountain, like you said. But it didn't work out, and, and it just seems like I know that your book transitions to the Baby Bombers at the end, but there are still many similarities between what that team went through winning 10 years ago and now the drought and what this team's gone through the last three years. Yeah, I was ready to write Mission 28 if it happened that <laughs> way, but uh, not so much. But I was certainly taking notes just in case that happened. Um you know, what was really interesting was talking to those guys and, 
getting them back, whether it was in person or on the phone and kind of, I, I liken it to going to one of your high school reunions or a college reunion, because in a lot of cases, these guys have been out of the game for three, four or five years now. Um, and we were able to get stories out of them that we wouldn't have heard in 2009. And, and you kind of recap the season there, but uh, specifically talking about, say, that uh, Florida Atlanta trip. I didn't know at the time that most of the guys had gone out and were hung over and played that entire Marlin <laughs> series. And that was a big part of it, that they were in Miami and South Beach in the middle of summer. And, uh, you know, rich, young players. What, what do you think they're doing? So um, I hadn't heard that before. Alex Rodriguez actually told us that. Um, I thought that what was cool about it was they put their guards down. Look, I mean, we know how the story is going to end. Um, it was obviously a great year for those guys, so they were happy to kind of peel back the layers of the onion and revisit that season. But I felt that we definitely heard stories um, that these guys wouldn't have told in 2009 when there was always another game to play the next day, um, when they were in the spotlight. And I think that when they kind of take a step back from it, um, not, not in A-Rod's case, he's always in the spotlight, but uh, some of the, the other guys on that team, I, I think that once they got away from the game, and A.J. Burnett is a perfect example, uh, once you don't have reporters at your locker every single day, I think you almost start to miss it a little bit. And um, I think that you recognize what a special time that was to be a Yankee, to be in New York City. Um, you know, I, I, my memories of that are... You couldn't walk down the street without hearing that Jay-Z and Alicia Key song blasting out of every bar in Manhattan. Um, that was just New York in 2009, and the Yankees were the best team in baseball, and they were going to win, and everybody knew it, and they backed it up. So it was it was definitely a cool time to be around the Yankees, and um, I think that uh, for Yankee fans, you want to see that again. Well, you talk about missed opportunities, and, and the following year, the Yankees were pretty much the best team in, in baseball for a good stretch, um, and in July of that year, I woke up and, and turned on my BlackBerry, which back then seems ancient, but uh, went open the wow. Yankees app, and there is a story from you um, that the Yankees were close to acquiring Cliff Lee, uh, which seemed like if they were going to put them over the top, they were going to win back-to-back world championships. They don't. Lee sort of swings the ALCS. They failed to get him that year in free agency, um, and the rest is history. But he just seems like the one that got away and really got away twice after all the su- success he had against them. Uh, and it almost seems like that's the case with Verlander. Had they gotten him in 2017, didn't let him swing the ALCS in favor of the Astros, maybe things are different. But um, it just seems like a different time when the Yankees would do all they could to put a winning team on the field or, or the best possible team on the field, rather. Um, and that hasn't been the case now. And, uh, you know, I know that Sweeney sort of got into it with Cashman at the uh, post-end-of-the-year mm-hmm. pest conference about uh, not really going full out for these pitchers. Uh, and that's sort of been the case. And it brings me now to this free agency offseason where I just don't see them getting Strasburg or Cole because they just haven't done that now for several years. Yeah, uh, it's funny. When you were mentioning that, for, the first thing I thought of was David Adams' high ankle sprain. Do you yes. remember that? that <laughs> oh, was, yes. <laughs> that was the reason, supposedly, that Cliff Lee did not become a Yankee at the time. And, man, that was a hectic day. I remember the Yankees were in Seattle when that was all going down, and I was out there with them. Um, the second thing I was thinking of, you mentioned Verlander, and the name that comes to my mind is Garrett Cole as the one that got away because they've already tried to get him twice. They drafted him. He went to college. Uh, they tried to trade for him. They didn't have the highest offer on the table from Pittsburgh. So um, will the third time be the charm? And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, there are definitely – look, Kirk Cole or Steven Strasburg, either of those guys, as Brian Cashman said this week, 
either of those guys make any team in the majors, any of the 30, they make them better. Um, I think that what you're looking at here with the Yankees is they're operating on a much different plane. I think the playing field has changed, too, where uh, there are significant penalties when you go over, first of all, the first threshold, but definitely the second threshold. And I think they're going to exceed the first. I'm not sure that they're going to go over the second. And if you don't go over the second, then, I mean, you're going to have to get really creative to fit in a guy like Cole, for example, who's going to be, what, a $35 million a year pitcher? Um, and, and don't get me wrong, he's worth the money. I think, you know, if I had a team, I'd say go all in on him. But I understand that uh, the Yankees certainly have a lot of big commitments already on the books. Um, that, this is one of those situations where, um, you know, people want to point to the Ellsbury deal. It doesn't really matter. I, I think this is one of those situations where you look at that John Carlos Stanton contract after 2017 – and they essentially had a great rookie in Aaron Judge and were presented with an opportunity for pennies on the dollar to get um, another Aaron Judge, uh, maybe a, an older, more experienced Aaron Judge. But now you got both these guys and Judge and Stanton. And at the time, I think it made sense, even though they didn't need another slugger. But I feel like this one's going to saddle them for, for years to come here. And that's easy to say, considering Stanton missed most of this most of this year and didn't really do much in the playoffs until, uh, you know, obviously we was hurt. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I can't help but think that if the Yankees had a do over, maybe they would have passed on Stanton realizing what they could have had in the, in the years to come, but we'll never know. Well, you bring up Cole and uh, the fact that they tried to trade for him and didn't. Uh, they weren't, I guess, willing to attach either Andrew Haar or Frazier or both. But back when it was David Adams, high uncle spray, and they weren't willing to go with Nunez. Nunez down the line ends up getting released for uh, Salarte. Um, and now we're in a situation where mm-hmm. Frazier doesn't really have a spot on this team. Andrew Haar, you know, maybe he comes back as a third baseman if Rochelle Rish- regresses enough. Maybe they move him to first base. I'm not sure. But it seems like time and again, the unwillingness to, you know, a- get rid of some prospects or, or, disatta- or unattach themselves from some prospects has cost them mightily. Uh, and it seems like that was the case again here with Cole. And uh, now you look at Frazier and he's sort of stuck. I, I don't know what really happens with him. I just don't foresee him being with the Yankees come February. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I think that it's just a situation where I don't see a clear fit for Clint uh, with the Yankees moving forward. And I think that, um, there were certainly opportunities that they had to trade him at the deadline. There was talk about his name, but the Yankees are not going to sell him for 50 cents on a dollar either. Right? It's not a situation where they, they just need to dump him. So he's kind of in the no man's land there. I think that um, he's a better defender than he showed this past year. I don't know what happened there. If it's a, the result, some kind of combination of the concussions and a lack of confidence and a lack of reps that he's had in the outfield. But, um, you know, coming up through the farm system, Nobody ever talked about Clint Frazier as a gold glove defender, but uh, he was never as brutal as it was to watch him this past year. And so I don't think that's a real indication of who he is. And clearly he didn't handle things great um, on the media front. Um, I I think you give him a pass for that. I certainly have. Um, I don't really care uh, about any of that. What What I hope for Clint is that he can go out and prove that he's the player that he has shown flashes of being um, because he is immensely talented hitter. Um, I, I think he's a capable defender. I think he should be able to be out there without hurting a major league team. But I think that he just became too big of a liability this year and too, too big and too much of a question mark for the Yankees to count on him. And I think that's going to carry uh, going forward. And I agree with you. I don't 
know where he's going to go or what you trade him for, what you move him for. But I think that um, clearly if a team calls Brian Cashman and mentions Clint Frazier, it's not a hang-up-the-phone situation. I think that, uh, that I would bet right now that Clint Frazier's not in spring training with the Yankees. Um, where he goes, I guess that remains to be seen. But that's what I would say here on, on November 13, is that Clint Frazier will not be a Yankee next year. Before Ryan Cashman traded Sonny Gray, he he had a quote along the lines of, I don't think we could uh, go through the same exercise and expect a different result again. And I feel like he should take that quote when, when building the team because this bullpen-heavy approach for the postseason just hasn't worked out. It hasn't panned out yet. Um, you, you see guys like Zach Britton talking about the fact that the bullpen was exhausted and running on fumes by the time Game 6 rolled around. And had they miraculously come back and actually won that series, I don't know what they were going to do in the World Series against the Nationals with the guys you know, clearly gassed uh, for a whole other series. But it just seems like this is the perfect time with two top-tier starting pitchers. Um, I don't expect them to go get both of them like they did over a decade ago with Sabathia and Burnett. Um, who, you know, Burnett's certainly not on the level that Strasburg or Cole was back then, but I don't even expect them to get one, but it just seems like it makes the most sense for this team, and this window is not going to stay open forever, and, the, you know, the young guys like Judge and Sanchez who are coming up on their uh, arbitration years, you know, their paydays are certainly going to get raises, so it just seems like this window is, is suddenly slipping away from them if they don't really capitalize and, and make a real move now to try to get back on top. Yeah, great point. I, I think that you know, Zach Britton has very quickly became one of my favorite Yankees to talk to because I think that he tells it straight, and uh, whereas most guys kind of toe the line, he, he did not hold back about that, uh, what you were talking about in the postseason, and, um, especially the idea that these relievers, when you see them every day, there's a reason these guys are in the bullpen. It's because they've got one or two really good pitches to get guys out, and when you see that two, three, four, five times, um, I think you start to you catch up. I think the advantage tilts to the hitter more often than not, and that's why you you will need those starting pitchers with three or four pitches who can turn a lineup over. Um, Zach Britton is a failed starter who wound up in the bullpen because he's got that elite sinker, and um, he can get guys out, but you can't pitch him every single day, and the same goes for Chad Green. Uh, Adam Ottavino is better than he showed in the postseason. Um, I, I think he was clearly gassed at the end there. Um, you know, I, I, just thinking back to this uh, past postseason, I think what that shows you is how much that Domingo Herman suspension really hurt this Yankee team because that would have been an extra arm out there. A starting pitcher, obviously, he was what leading the American League for a while with 18 wins. Um, that suspension really hurt the Yankees because if you have him on the roster, he can he's so versatile. He could have started a game. He could have pitched out of the bullpen. Um, I think that would have changed things a lot the way that Aaron Boone would have attacked lineups, but um, he wasn't there, and that's his own fault. So uh, I think that uh, that certainly hurt the Yankees, And but to your point, you never say no to a starting pitcher. And I, I think that whether it's Cole or Strasburg or Ryu or whoever, you know, if they want to go after a Madison Bumgarner, um, you know, I'd be in favor of all that as a Yankee fan because I, I think that you're right in that, Starting pitching wins championships. I, I, I haven't seen evidence to the contrary yet that having great starting pitching is going to hurt you in the postseason. And even though you know we're not seeing the, the Bob Gibson complete games of uh, 50 years ago um, and the game has changed, the bullpen's used more, I, I still like your chances a whole lot more if you're throwing out there a Verlander Cole or even a, you know Charlie Morton when he was with Houston. Um, yeah, Give me those guys. 
I'll, and then uh, we'll figure out the, the back end of the bullpen rather than the other way around. But maybe I'm maybe I'm too old school <laughs> on, on that thought. Well, it's really unfortunate that Dylan Batiz has had the shoulder injury, uh, kept him out most yeah, of the year. Sure. Then, then the Achilles injury in his in his free agency year, his chance to finally cash in after being the best reliever in baseball for five years. Heartbreaking. And, yeah, and now it's going to really suck if the Yankees let him walk and let him go somewhere else because they're the Yankees and they can afford to have Dylan Batantis. I know maybe they don't need him given the state of the bullpen, but uh, it's it's Dylan Batantis. He's been the best pitcher. He showed it when he came back from the shoulder injury and just how good he could be. He's a homegrown guy, a classy guy who's never had any bit of issues any problems nothing bad with the media nothing at all it just it would really suck if, if he's on another team next year because the Yankees uh maybe they can't afford him in luxury tax terms but they're still the Yankees they can afford Dylan Batances yes they could if they want to but at what expense you know I, I think you you start to get in a situation where if you're trying to stay under that 228 uh for that second threshold then you're then you got to make some tough decisions and I think Dylan is in a group where uh, look, he's not the Yankees' only free agent. Uh, I think Brett Gardner uh, certainly made a great case to come back. I think I would bet that he will come back. Um, Didi Gregorius, do you bring him back as the shortstop, or do you go forward with Glaber Torres at short, or do you try and make a trade for a, a Francisco Lindor? I think that right now they've got a lot of plan A's, plan B's, plan C's. I think that it's too early to tell which way uh, the wind is going to blow, but I think um, at this moment, you have to consider a Yankee future that at the least does not include Dylan Batances and or Didi Gregorius. And um, so that's going to definitely change the landscape of that roster, that clubhouse. Um, both those guys have been huge parts of this team in years past. Um, maybe not as much in 2019 because Didi was hurt for half the year and Dylan was hurt for the whole year. But um, if it comes to pass and you go to spring training, you don't have either one of those guys in a Yankee uniform. It's definitely going to feel different in that clubhouse, I think. And uh, you can say the same for Gardner. I don't think that Brett wants to go anywhere else. Brett would love to play his career in pinstripes. Uh, it's something you don't see very often in this day and age where a guy plays his entire career for one team. Uh, he's got a chance to do that. And I think that, um, you know, if they can make the money – line up the way they did this past year for him on a one-year deal i think that makes sense but at this moment uh he's not on the team either so uh definitely a lot of changes um this team will look different especially without cc Spathy in that clubhouse um that one we know already so i i think there could be a different vibe for 2020 um i i think that a big part of that will be watching aaron judge continue to evolve into the yankee leader and um, you know, maybe someday a captain. I don't even think you have to necessarily name him captain. Um, he doesn't need the title. I think right now he is the Yankees captain. So uh, that's the way I view it right now. But certainly a, a different atmosphere in that room for 2020, I would I would expect. I know by the end of spring training, uh, you know, the beat guys, they can't wait for the actual real baseball to start in the regular season. But at what point in the offseason do you start to think about Florida and getting out of this weather that's already, you know, hit the greater New York City area? Oh, I would say about five days ago. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. Enough. Uh, it's just hard. You, you go the entire season with baseball every single day, and then uh, you get to the postseason, and there's only one, two games every day, and then finally you're down to one game a day. And I don't know. I'm just hungry for it. I'm ready to get back at it. I mean, this is uh, this is what I do. It's my life. and um, You know, I, I love baseball. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I've already – 
contacted my people down in Florida saying, hey, you got that apartment for me ready to go? Because I'd <laughs> uh, <laughs> like to get down there sooner rather than later. And I know, look, the players need a break. It's a long season. I get that. Um, and there's no off-season in baseball. This is now the business side of things. And um, So we'll, we'll grind that out. But, I, man, sunshine, the crack of the bat, um, a little – what, 75-degree day in Tampa, Florida? I'm already looking forward to that. <laughs> All right, Brian, thanks for taking the time to come on today. The book's uh, Mission 27. Any Yankees fan should read it and uh, remember the great days of a decade ago, and hopefully those great days will be back soon. Brian, thanks again for coming on. You got it, Neil. Thank you so much.